0: Turn to uh, well, put your finger in Joshua, chapter 16, where we're going to start, more or less. but we're actually going to start at Second uh, Peter chapter one. I just want to read a couple of verses out of Second Peter chapter one. and I thought it'd be helpful for us to get a feel for kind of the general direction we'll be going today in our study. And uh 2nd Peter gives us a really good New Testament view of why we say that the Old Testament is given for our example. So turn to 2nd Peter chapter 1 with me. You're starting early. No, it's 7:01. Uh, I'm not starting early. Starting at 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 2. We're going to read just the th- first of three verses here. Where chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. I underline that portion right there, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, the reason I bring this up to us tonight in this section that we'll be looking at in the book of Joshua, it is a continuation of the dividing of the land. But I want to make sure that we're all on the same page with what this passage in Joshua really means to us as we go through it together. Now, we're going to skip a lot, like we did last time, um, but we're going to get some of the various portions out of this section in Joshua that I think will be beneficial to us. But over and over again, we're going to find application to what Peter has said here in that passage that we just read, through the Old Testament Scripture, as is recorded in the book of Joshua. Take note again that Peter in verse 4 says, We have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. I love the fact that Peter uses that word precious so often in his letters. And it's very true that the word of God should be, indeed, very precious indeed to us. And that is what Peter is saying here. These precious promises that he's given throughout his word... We take and apply, and if we don't take them, then we don't receive them. It's as simple as that. The promises are made, but they have to be appropriated by each individual believer in Jesus Christ. And when we do, he is faithful to give those promises that he has given to all by his grace through faith. We're partakers then of the divine nature when we take part in what is being given to us by partaking of those promises. And we have then escaped the corruption that is in the world. That's the advantage that we as believers have. There is a great deal of corruption in the world. And that corruption can come into the church very subtly. And oftentimes, before we realize it, we fall into situations that lead to sin. And other times, we do it deliberately. But whatever the case, we know that we still have this privilege as believers in Jesus Christ to take full advantage of what Peter gives us in that passage that we've just read. So now, having looked at that, turn now back to the Old Testament book of Joshua, and we'll begin reading from verse 1 of chapter 16, where it says, the lot of the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites to Adaroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Jathlethites as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. So I read that portion to give you a sense of what it is like for all of the various tribes that were given land. Joshua records each individual tribe and then describes the territory that that tribe is going to be able to occupy. I went through those first four verses, to give us an example of the particular details that are given throughout the next several chapters. And quite frankly, we're going to zoom right through chapters 16 through 19 tonight, and we'll skip over much of the details that I just read for the sons of Joseph. But I do want to remind you that in the previous study, we looked at the distribution of the land for the tribe of Judah. That was the first division that was meted out and recorded in chapter 15. And we ended chapter 15 at verse 66, 63, which says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Now it tells us there in chapter 15 that Jerusalem was given to the tribe of Judah. That was indeed the case. They couldn't take the city of uh, Jerusalem because of the Jebusite people that were there and they were very strong. It was a very uh, well-protected city and they just weren't ever able to conquer the Jebusites in Jerusalem. There were other territories within Judah where Jebusites did live and, and they were taken out as they were instructed by Joshua. But that one city was not captured. It's important because we're going to find out that in a later distribution of tribal territory, Jerusalem is going to be mentioned again, and I'll get to that sometime later on this evening. But we find here in chapter 16 the distribution of land specifically for Ephraim and part of Manasseh. Remember, Manasseh was split into two halves. The first half were given land on the eastern side of the Jordan, and the second half were given land on the western side of the Jordan. Now Ephraim is a very large tribe at this time, and they would occupy a large territory, as would Judah. But we'll find that they weren't very happy with the distribution that they were given. Manasseh was also given a very large tract of land that half-tribe of Manasseh on the western side, like Ephraim, but it wasn't necessarily because they were a large tribe, they were split in half, but they were a favored tribe because they were one of the sons of Joseph. Ephraim was more favored than Manasseh, even though Ephraim was the second born. And the reason for that is given in the book of Genesis, when Jacob, Joseph's father, blessed those two sons of Joseph. Jacob was nearly blind. And in order for him to bless those two sons of Joseph, he would lay his hands upon each of their shoulders. And the right hand would be the right hand of blessing, would be the favored blessing for that particular one to whom he lays his right hand. Now what Jacob did was blessed those two, and because he couldn't see, Joseph wanted Manasseh to receive the greater blessing. So, Joseph is facing Jacob with his two sons on either side of him. Manasseh is on Joseph's left side, and that would put him on Jacob's right-hand side, so that, theoretically, Jacob should be blessing Manasseh with the right hand of blessing. But, Even though Jacob was blind, what wasn't at all expected was that Jacob crossed his hands and put his right hand of blessing upon Ephraim and his left hand of blessing upon Manasseh. And you may remember in your reading of the scripture in Genesis, Joseph complained, no, no, Father, that's not right. And Jacob said, it is right. This is the way it's supposed to be. And that is exactly how it was to be done and fulfilled, even though they had no control over it. Ephraim did receive the greater blessing by Jacob and proved to be the greater tribe in the nations of Israel. But here they're given their land. Ephraim is now just north of Judah and Manasseh is just north of Ephraim. So now we have these two tribes given their land. And if you'll turn with me to chapter 1, verse uh, 16, rather, verse uh, 10, we'll find the conclusion of the matter with regard to Ephraim, where it says, And they, Ephraim, did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Dezer, but the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites to this day and had become forced laborers. Now, it's interesting to note, it says they did not drive out the Canaanites. It wasn't because they could not. They certainly could have, as we will see later on at the end of chapter 17. But they chose not to. Instead, they deliberately disobeyed the command of God to wipe out the Canaanites in the land and instead made them forced laborers. They thought perhaps they could benefit from the extra help that would come from those forced laborers to take care of the things that they themselves didn't really want to have to do, like cutting down trees and that sort of thing. That plays into the picture that we'll read about later on in chapter 17. But in chapter 17, we move now at the beginning of the chapter to the fulfillment of a promise that Moses had made to certain individuals back when they were in the wilderness having to do with the eastern side tribe of Manasseh. It tells us in verse 1 of chapter 17, there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Maker, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. That's on the eastern side of the Jordan. So that's the half-tribe that is being referred to here that settled outside of the land of Canaan on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Verse 2 says, And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh according to their families. For the children of Abiezer, the children of Hilek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shenidah. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. But Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mahiah, Noah, Hogiah, Milcah, and Tirz, Tiraz, or Tirzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandments of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers, just as God had commanded through Moses. Now we find that particular event referred to in the book of Numbers in chapter 27, where Moses does indeed meet with these daughters of this descendant of Manasseh. And because he had no sons, his five daughters came to Moses and asked Moses for an exception to the rule. And the rule was the land would be passed on from father to son. But this man had no sons. And so they were fearful that when their father died, his land would not be passed on properly to the next generation they determined that it would be right for them to receive the inheritance, even though they were daughters instead of sons. Moses agreed, and Moses guaranteed to them that that would be the case, that when they come into the land, they would indeed receive that inheritance promise that he is making now in Numbers chapter 27, and here in Joshua chapter 17, it is being fulfilled by Joshua. What a remarkable thing that God intended for these women to have a special exception made so that they could inherit land that otherwise would have gone to some other tribe or some other individual outside of the family. It would not have been fair. But God treats everyone, male or female, in a way that is good and right. And so that's a perfect and wonderful example of how God is merciful to all of the people of God, not just the males, but the men and women. Verse 5 continues and says Ten shares fell to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of Jordan, because of the daughters of Manasseh had received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. So that's the portion that the children of Manasseh on the eastern side had taken, and now they're settling into that land. The remainder of chapter 17 from 7 until verse 11 talk about the distribution of the Manassites on the western side of the Jordan River in the land of Canaan. So skipping down to verse 12, we see another situation that is not good. It says in verse 12, yet... The children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities that were mentioned in verses 7 through uh, 11, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in their land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Now, initially, they could not drive them out, and that wasn't a problem. But they grew in numbers and in power. And eventually, they were indeed strong enough to drive them out. But they did not drive them out. So you're seeing here a pattern in all of the tribes. And we'll see it more and more as we go further into the text tonight. That they either could not or did not take the promise that was given to them. They had the inheritance, but they did not choose to hold on to the promise, and in fact, what they were doing was sinful. They were rejecting the command of God. God says obedience is better than sacrifice. We find that in First Samuel when Samuel is presenting to Saul, then king, the requirement that God made to destroy all of the Amalekites, and When Saul came back, not having destroyed all of the Amalekites and having taken spoil, which he was told not to do, Samuel challenged him on that. And Saul thought, well, hey, I brought all these animals back so we could sacrifice to the Lord. But Samuel said, look, you have made a grave mistake and you are going to have your kingdom stripped from you because of this. For obedience is better than sacrifice. It always has been. It always will be. Obedience is so very important, and again that 's why we read Second Peter chapter one, verses two through four, because I want to make the connection to all of us that God expects us to do what He asks of us so that we can participate in the blessings that He has for us, in the promises that He wants to give to us. We are required to be obedient to what He calls us to do and to be always. And this is their problem. This is their main sin that is over and over repeated throughout the Old Testament. And it's established here in the book of Joshua. It's a serious problem. And it's not something that they will overcome uh, until after the Babylonian captivity. Now reading from verse 14 of chapter 17, it tells us, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So they're kind of puffing themselves up to say, We're a great people. We deserve more than what you've given to us. So Joshua here is being challenged by the Ephraimites and the Manassites. And it's just interesting to note that Joshua is a descendant of Ephraim. He's part of the Ephraim tribe. And he's giving them a very large portion of land, but they wanted more. They weren't satisfied. Telling me that there is a very, very important concept in this portion of Scripture that we need to take very careful note of. We should be more than satisfied with what God gives to us. He gives us always enough. It may not seem like it's fair, but He gives us always enough for each one of us. Whatever the gift may be, whatever the, the thing is that God chooses to give, we should receive it gladly. We should receive it wholeheartedly and accept it as that which is our lot. And no more, no less. Why should we think we're more deserving of anything? None of us are deserving of even the smallest amount of love or gifts from God. And yet he pours it out in spite of that. Well, verse 15 continues and gives Joshua's answer. It says, So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are are too confined for you. So he's saying, there's plenty of land, all you've got to do is work for it. Well, that didn't settle in their minds very well. It says, but the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley from they have chariots of iron, both those who are of Bethshean and its towns and those who are of the Valley of Jezreel. It's not fair, Joshua. You're putting us at jeopardy. They're too strong for us. They had just gotten done saying, we are a mighty people. We are a strong and great people. Well, now they're saying, we're not that strong, Joshua. We're we're afraid of those people in the valley. I don't think we're good enough to conquer them. Now they're having second thoughts about taking the possession. Again, God had said, I will go before you. They weren't trusting God. And that's another issue that causes sin when the people of God aren't willing to trust what God has said. These are all good examples for us to remember and apply in our own lives. Verse 17 says, Joshua again speaking, Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain's country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong." You will drive them out, Joshua said. Now going back to chapter 16, verse 10, what did it say? They did not drive out the Canaanites, but instead they made them to become forced laborers. They said, okay, we're going to have to cut down a lot of trees. We need the help of the Canaanites who are living in the land. They'll do the work for us. So they thought they had outwitted God, but they turned God's blessing into a terrible, terrible disaster for them. God does not want His people to go and do something contrary to what He has said. That's a really very important precept that we need to understand and apply. That's why these things are, again, given to us. So we'll know that God expects from us certain things that we must be obedient to do. Continuing on, We have the remainder of the land that hasn't yet been divided. And it tells us in chapter 18, verse 1 Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Or, better translated, they had not yet taken their inheritance. They had gathered together in the southern territory of Judah, and they were there at Shiloh where the tabernacle was set up. They were still camping out, waiting to take the land, but they hadn't moved out to do that. They should have, but they remained among the children of Judah, all those other seven tribes, just twiddling their thumbs and not really taking part in an aggressive, determined effort to take the land that would become theirs. And then Joshua says, in verse 3, Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? That's not right for you to wait like this. He says, in verse 4, Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, "...survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts, and Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts, and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord your God." So the work has not been done, because they were unwilling to go and look and to see what the land was like. And so now Joshua is taking upon himself to force their hand. And he's asking them to appoint three men from each of the seven remaining tribes to go out and survey the land. And they did a professional job, by the way, so they must have had some kind of surveying skill, perhaps that they learned, uh, either in the wilderness or uh, were taught by those who had uh, come out of Egypt early on in their wilderness journey, but they were very good at surveying the land as we will see. Verse 7 says, The Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And God, or rather Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. Then the men arose And to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities, and they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their Divisions. Now, verse 7 through 10, we just read, is a final determination of how the tribes remaining will be divided in the remaining territory. But in verse 7, take note of the fact that, again, the Levites are mentioned specifically as not inheriting any of the land, because the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And this is now the fourth time where the tribe of Levi are mentioned in that regard with the intent for the people of Israel to know that the Levites were set apart for a special task. They weren't given land, but they were given responsibility. They were given many great privileges and honors that God bestowed upon them. And they are a type of the church, as we mentioned last time. We are a royal priesthood. And we, like the Levites, have been given no land in this world. We're like Abraham. We're just passing through. We are nomads. We are not inheriting the land. We have a city whose builder and maker is God. And that's our possession. That is what we are looking forward to. That is what God has promised to us. The people of Israel, on the other hand, have the promise of a land, a heritage that they will indeed be able one day to receive in its fullness. Remember, Moses had told the people of Israel that the land that they would inherit would extend from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Euphrates River, and that has not yet happened, but it will happen in the last days. And if you read the book of Ezekiel, you'll find the final final division of the land of the Israelites in the Entire portion of land between the Mediterranean Sea and the uh, Euphrates River are included in that passage. But here, in the remaining portion of chapters 18 and 19, is the division of the land for the remaining seven tribes. We already have two and a half tribes on the eastern side, one half tribe of Manasseh on the western side, plus the three tribes of Judah, Manasseh, and the half tribe of Manasseh of Judah, Ephraim, and the half tribe of Manasseh on the western side. Now, these seven remaining tribes are going to be given their territory. And here, in chapters 18 and 19, we'll just read the particular tribes in the order that they have been given their inheritance. And we're not going to spend any detailed time with regard to the specific land that's involved. But we will make a few comments about certain of the tribes as we move forward. But in verse 11 it says, Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. So they're sandwiched between Ephraim and Judah, on the eastern side of that territory of those two tribes, but on the western side of the river Jordan we'll find another mention that I think is very, very important as we move forward in this text. But between verses 12 and down to 27, we see just a list of names and border of the tribe of Benjamin. But in verse 28, I want to focus now just briefly on what it says there with regard to a city named Jebus which is Jerusalem, we're told. That city was given to Judah, you may recall. And Judah did not successfully invade Jerusalem. They couldn't do it. It still belonged and was controlled by the Jebusites in that early day and would remain so until the time of David. Now, it tells us that Benjamin... In addition to it being a a city of Judah, it's mentioned as a city of Benjamin. It's a shared city between the two tribes. Perhaps one of the main reasons why Benjamin remained with Judah when the tribes were split later on in their history. You remember the northern tribes went away and into their own territories. They formed the northern tribes kingdom of Israel, and the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah remained in the southern territory and were known collectively as Judah. That happened many years later. But because Jerusalem was so integrally connected to both of those two tribes, and it became the center of worship for all of Israel, Judah and Benjamin were still tied at the hip, if you will, and they remained in the southern kingdom as one nation when the others split. Now, that takes care of Benjamin. The next one is Simeon. And it just simply says in verse 1 of chapter 19, the second lot came out for Simeon for the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families. And their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. So again, remember, Judah had been given a great large portion of land, but it was more than they could handle by themselves. So God sought to it through the drawing of lots that Simeon would occupy a territory within the original boundaries of the tribe of Judah. That's important because we'll see later on in our Old Testament studies that eventually Simeon became assimilated, if you will, into the tribe of Judah. Now, many of the Simeonites moved into Ephraim and into Manasseh. But those who remained in that original territory of Simeon were kind of assimilated into the territory of Judah and under Judah's control. So the tribe of Simeon didn't disappear, but it was greatly diminished, except for those who went out of the territory up into the northern area of Ephraim and Manasseh, which is later on recorded for us in the Old Testament. So that was the second lot that went to Simeon. And it tells us in verse 9, after describing the various cities that are involved, In verse 9 it says the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. Now the next tribe, the third, is Zebulun. It says simply in verse 10, the third lot came out for the children of Zebulun according to their families. And the border of their inheritance was as far as Syrid. Now, they inherited a land that is north of Manasseh. And it's a fairly large land north of the Jezreel Valley. Very, very well fortified cities there. But they were to take them all and to conquer them and to occupy the land. This was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun, according to their families, these cities with their villages, it tells us in verse 16. Then in verse 17, it speaks of the fourth lot going to Issachar. The fourth lot came out to Issachar in verse 17 for the children of Issachar according to their families. And in verse 23, it says, This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar according to their families, the cities, and their villages, as was described in verses 18 through 22. Continuing on, it talks about the land of Asher. The next or fifth lot coming out to Asher, the tribe of Asher, came into the land. And it says in verse 24, the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families. And their territory was given as described in verses 25, all the way through to verse 31, where it says, This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families, their cities, and their villages. Asher is an interesting tribe. Remember, one of the ten tribes that had left Judah and entered into the ten-tribe nation of Israel when the nation was split into two. There's one reference in the New Testament to the tribe of Asher that I find to be very, very helpful in understanding what God's opinion is of these ten tribes. Because there are many who say that the ten tribes are lost tribes, and that the church has replaced those ten tribes. That really is not biblical, it is unnecessary and unfounded, it is believed by many, but it doesn't really hold water especially when you look into the New Testament scriptures and find that Asher is mentioned as the ancestor of Anna in Jerusalem, who along with Simeon was one of the first to see and hold the baby Jesus. She was a descendant of Asher. And so the tribe of Asher was still in existence in Jesus' day. It wasn't lost. Well, just... As an aside to some of the things that we're seeing here in this passage that we're reading, but the next one, the sixth lot, is recorded for us in verse 32, and that goes to Naphtali. It says in verse 32, the sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali, according to their families. At verses 33 till 38 describes the specifics of that territory given to them, and finally in verse 39 it gives a summary. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Naphtali according to their families, the cities and their villages. Now the last tribal allotment goes to the tribe of Dan, and it tells us in verse 40 the seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, and again in verses 41. Down through 46, it gives the territory of the tribe of Dan. And then, in verse 47, it tells us this information about the tribe. And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these cities that are mentioned in those previous verses, because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it. And they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan. After the name of Dan their father. Now, this passage, verse 47, is very, very important because the tribal inheritance of the tribe of Dan was west of the tribe of Judah in what is now the Gaza Strip. They should have taken the land of the Philistines, but they weren't happy with that and a portion of that portion just outside of the land of the Philistines that was to the west of the land of Judah. It was a territory that they should have taken, but they weren't satisfied with it. And instead, they sent men from their tribe all the way up to the northern part of the territory of Canaan, further north than any of the other tribes. And they conquered this city named and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword and they took possession of it and they renamed it Dan. And then a majority of the tribe of Dan continued to live in that southern portion, but many of them occupied that city and territory around it in that northern territory just outside of the original territory that was given to the people of Israel. That's why, you see oftentimes recorded in scripture, a reference to the entire territory from north to south of the nation of Israel, the entire nation, as being referred to from Dan to Beersheba. Beersheba was the southernmost city in that territory, and the city of Dan now was the northernmost city in that territory that they had occupied. So from Dan to Beersheba, And that's why we have that phrase already throughout the word of God, referring to the entirety of the nation of Israel. So again in verse 48, the summary, this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families, these cities with their villages. Now in a final inheritance, although all the tribes have been given their inheritance by lot, there's one final thing that needed to be done. And that's described in the last few verses of chapter 19. And so beginning with verse 49, we see this final record of the inheritance of the people of Israel, and it's the inheritance of Joshua himself. It tells us in verse 49, When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun, According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city, which he asked for, Timnath, Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. Take note of the fact that he asked for this particular territory. It's not a particularly lovely place. It's not the best of the land. In fact, one might consider the fact that since Ephraim was such a large area and the valley of Jezreel would have been so much more beautiful and plush and beneficial for Joshua, the leader of the people, to occupy a portion within that area of Ephraim. And again, he is an Ephraimite, so that would have been where he could have occupied, but he chose instead a lesser quality of territory for himself. Kind of reminding me of the fact that when Abraham was given the option with Lot to choose between going to the east, which was much more fertile, or staying in the area of Hebron or Hebron or Beersheba, which was mostly desert, Abraham gave Lot the opportunity to first choose, and Lot chose the more plush of the two options, and Abraham was totally satisfied with that, The reason? Because Abraham again was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He wasn't attached to the land. Lot appeared to be and was indeed and if you read through the text in in the Old Testament scripture referring to Lot we'll find that he was indeed very attracted to that very plush area. Now Abraham was a type of us and so I believe is Joshua here. He wasn't wanting more than everybody else. He was fine with the least favorable gift from the people of Ephraim to give him a portion that he decided to take. So verse 51 continues by ending the chapter where it says, These were the inheritance which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, divided as an inheritance by lot, in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, so they made an end of dividing the country. Now again, the city of Shiloh or the territory of Shiloh was the place where the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle stood for many, many years. It did get moved a little bit from time to time. The Ark of the Covenant didn't always remain in Shiloh. But for the most part, that's where it was and that's where they would come to worship during the time of the Judges. And so now we're approaching the end of Joshua's life. And when he does expire, which will be recorded for us in the last chapters of this book, we'll find that the time of the Judges will have begun. And that's where First and Second Samuel give us all of the details of that as well as the book of Judges. It's a terrible time because the people were not obedient to God. He told them to destroy the Canaanites. They were an evil people that were under his judgment, but they would not do what he had commanded, just like Saul would not do what God had commanded. There's a cost for disobeying the commands of God. And oftentimes, it's because of sin that enters into our lives that we, tend to deviate from what we know to be God's will for us. Just like the Ephraimites, we sometimes just choose not to. And that's wrong, but it does happen. Other times, like some of the other tribes, we believe we couldn't do it because the enemy is too great. Well, the enemy of our soul is indeed a very great enemy, but he's not to be feared. He has nothing on us because we're covered by the blood of Christ. We need to accept that. We need to acknowledge that. We need to believe that and trust that greater is He who is in us, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. So we should never let doubt or fear cause us to stumble and not turn to do the things that God has called us to do, because unbelief is also a sin. That's something that we need to remember. And it's here in the Word of God for us as we've looked together tonight. Let us be mindful of these things. Let us take very seriously the portion of Scripture that we read in Second Peter tonight and apply it through the reading of the distribution of the land and the response of the people in these various passages that we've looked at because it's so very important for us to take these things seriously, especially now in these last days. We need to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. We need to be more than conquerors, overcomers. We need to be able to do God's will. And by His Spirit, we are enabled. But we need to trust Him to lead us every step of the way. And when we do, we will have the victory because the victory has already been won. We have that assurance. We have that promise. Let us hold to it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.